Welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Uh, it's been a while, people. I'm so sorry about that. With the holidays and just the indoor track season, it's been crazy. We've had so many meets, so many practices. Uh, I, I uh, constantly feel like I'm just running around. Um, but uh, bringing you an episode today. Um, if you enjoy the Apex Vaulting Podcast, please subscribe. That would be awesome. We'd love for you to leave a comment. Um, that'd be great as well. And make sure to follow us on other social media platforms. Um, on Instagram, we're the real apex vaulting on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, we're apex vaulting. Um, and if you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to play something for you real quick. And then we're going to get Calvin to chime in and we're going to, we're going to kind of talk about coaching and specifically kind of like programming. Like how do you, how do you go through and coach athletes? How do you set up a whole season? How do you get continued progress, uh, from your athletes? Um, well, let's see what this guy has to say about it. You might recognize his voice. about commitment that's it you put in the work you'll re- you'll reap the rewards there's no there's no secret sauce to this <laughs> all right so if you don't we don't, rec- we don't really have conor mcgregor <laughs> sitting here with us it may sound like that but. no so yeah so for those of you that don't recognize the voice that's conor mcgregor he just uh he just had a big big win um at his last fight and a lot of people were asking him like what happened how did he go from losing to khabib losing to floyd mayweather and now he had this dramatic victory against cowboy cerrone um and he basically just said look it's it's about committed uh, being committed and in his last fight or his prior two fights he wasn't as committed and he's more committed now and he's also trying to bring home the idea that look there's no magic trick you know what you need to do like in the pole vault i love it you know like when i'm scrolling through instagram and stuff I see some crazy drills, you know, and, and listen, I think every drill has its place, perhaps, you know, but I'll see the stuff where, you know, people are like bending poles against the wall and sliding against the ground or, you know, and listen, there's nothing wrong with pool vaulting, but, you know, someone will post that and everybody loves it, you know, but it's like, I think there's some basic tried and true things that you have to do in pole vaulting to get better. And it comes down to being committed and doing those tried and true things. Like, listen, not for nothing. If your takeoff's not good, you need to do takeoff drills with a straight pole. Period. Doing some Period. fancy drill that mimics it is not going to help you. Right, right. Like, do you remember... Um, Calvin, I showed you that one video. There's this video of a coach holding a barbell, a 45-pound barbell, against his hip. And then he has a cut, like maybe 20 pounds on the other side. And this kid is mimicking planting. Oh, with the. So, I mean, and for those of you that don't know, Calvin is a certified uh, strength and conditioning coach. Um, He's been interning at the Joe DeFranco gym, now actually taking over coaching there. Um, for those of you who don't know, Joe DeFranco is a big name in the strength and conditioning world. Um, so Calvin has not only his pole vaulting experience, but he, he's got a lot of strength and conditioning background. Um, what, what do you think about that? When you see people doing things in the weight room that, let's say, like mimic pole vaulting too much, like what's, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem is they're not actually building any type of like basic strength. 
I mean, it's fine if you want to build some specific strength for your sport, but you're going to get most of that from just doing your sport. You know, once you do your sport and you have your, you finish your session, you need to just build, you know, a basic foundation of strength and doing stuff that's too similar to pole vault is just kind of, it's being repetitive. Do do you mean to tell me that if I just do pole runs, regular pole runs, (laughs) that's fine? That's, I mean, no, you need to, you need to go beyond that and, you know, do strength and conditioning for your entire body. Right. But I mean, just look, I'm trying to like make it as simple as possible. Guys, and I have a YouTube video that I just recently posted about this. You have to decide, are you training movement or are you trying to build strength? Right. And so if we're, we're trying to train movement in the pole vault, that's fine. Go do a pole run. If you're trying to get stronger, you don't need to set up some convoluted uh, barbell exercise that looks like pole vault. You can just do some basic weightlifting, you know? I, I mean, like, like if I wanted to get my shoulders stronger, what do you think I could do, Calvin? <laughs> I mean, you could bench press, incline bench press, do some overhead shoulder press. There's, you know, tons of different exercises you could do that are going to be more effective than holding a barbell overhead like it's pole vault, you know? That right. seems kind of silly to me. Right. And I, I would also add that it's like usually when I see some of these intricate setups, there's a little bit of a safety risk too. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. it's like, you know, having this coach hold the barbell and this kid's trying to plant the pole and it's like, God forbid the, the coach slips and, you know, whatever. It's not going to end well. Even a lot of times I see some of these pole vaulting drills that people set up. Like, listen, I know people are going to hate on what I'm about to say, but when I see a pole rigged up with rope and people are doing high bar exercises on a bending pole, I just, look, part of me is like, one, what if that pole breaks? That's a possibility. Two, what are the actual advantages of doing a high bar exercise on a bending pole versus a regular high bar? And is it worth the time setting up that rope and pole, or could I just be going over to the high bar or pull-up bar and doing some swing-ups or whatever I was planning on doing? Like, I just, you know what I mean? Like, when I think cost-benefit analysis of what's going on here. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Like, you could just do the high bar exercise. Um, I guess going a little bit deeper, you know, again, I think... A lot of times, you know, people have told me, they're like, well, Bronco, that, that drill looks fun. That looks fun. <sighs> Pole vaulting is fun, people. <laughs> yeah. Why do you need to make it more fun than that? Right, yeah. It, it Jumping was, higher is yeah, fun. Yeah, it was, it was funny. Robert Plum, who's been on the podcast, and he's one of my vaulters at the club, he said it that night, and we were talking about it afterwards. He's like, Bronco, he's like, pole vaulting already is fun. <laughs> Pole vaulting is fun. And you know what makes pole vaulting even more fun? When you jump higher. Yeah, credit, and, credit goes to Rob. I didn't mean yeah, to steal yeah. that from you, Rob. Yeah. But, like, I mean, pole vaulting higher is fun. And so everything that you do outside of the vault needs to be helping you jump higher. You know what I mean? Because the tree already is pole vaulting. And even last night, I was talking about this with some other athletes, and Alexis was at practice. And she goes, yeah, she goes, you know what's fun? When you feel that it's a good jump. When it feels like a good jump, that's fun. And so it's like, you know, again, nothing wrong. If you are doing some of these drills and you're happy and it works and whatever, awesome. More power to you. My thing, and I always tell people, I go, that's fine. If you're happy, I don't, I don't care. Go have fun. But if you come ask me why, why, am, why have I gone so long without a PR or why am I not more consistent, 
Now I have to, well, now we have to have real talk. You know what I mean? Are some of these drills actually carrying over? Like, let's even go back to high bar. In the YouTube video that I posted, um, I have one of the athletes, Grace, you know, she's doing a pullover on the high bar. And one of the things that I talked about is at Apex, we figured out that if you could do a pull-up with 50% of your body weight, meaning you have a belt on and you attach weight, and if you weigh 100 pounds, you got to be able to do a 50-pound pull-up. You can go over the high bar and a pullover without touching the bar, you know, and it's very fast. That's that's kind of the breaking point that we found. If you can do 50% of your body weight, you're going to have a really good pullover. And then also, that means you have enough strength and explosiveness to be efficient on the pull. Like, your push-off should be pretty good. You know, we've had girls, like, push off, like, about 11 inches, you know, almost a foot. When they get to that point, guys will, you know, push off about two feet, you know, when they get to that point. And so it's like we see that correlation. And so that's why we're always hitting up those basic pull-ups and going through a progression, you know, start out with high reps. We do a linear model, go down to heavy singles, you know. And I, I guess that goes to the bigger point. It's like, Calvin, if you were trying to help someone, you know, and let's – I, I want to talk about actual vault drills, and then what exercise you pair with that to now make a progression to take someone through a season? Like, how, how do you map out that season? Like, what, are you, what do you think are some big drills? What, what's some, like, like, you know what I mean, meat and potatoes stuff? Like, you just this is what you got to do all the time. How do, you, how do you build a vault season for someone? You're talking about specific exercises? or what, Like, what t- take me through a practice. Take me through a practice. What are some things where we're going to do in pole vault practice, and what do you think are some exercises that you think are big? Well, I mean, the and first thing... Let me, let me give you this caveat for everybody listening. Let's, let's make this real simple. Let's make this simple. You have an hour and a half to two hours to practice, and you're going to practice three days a week. What do you do, Calvin? I give you some kids. What do you do? That's your limit. Restrictions. This is not, we're not talking about someone going to the Olympics. We're not some, talking about someone that trains seven days a week and they're a savage and they just can put all the time in. You got These three like, days a week. Like uh, basic parameters that, you know, a high school coach. Right. That most high school athletes. coaches yeah. are going to deal with. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the first thing you have to think about is the warm up. And here at Apex, we've incorporated a lot of drills into the warm up. So it kind of flows very seamlessly. You know what I mean? The kids, as they're raising their body temperature, as they're getting moving, they're also doing things that are going to help them learn how to run, learn how to hold the pole. All that stuff is incorporated in the warm-up. Then, you know, they may jump for an hour, hour and a half, depending on, you know, what the kid needs. And then that's going to start very basic, like very basic takeoff drills and then progress to maybe a three or a four. And then depending on where we are in the week, like let's say this is day one, we may start them, you know, on a big, maybe they start on a big day because they're coming off the weekend. They just had some rest. So, you know, maybe they warm up with some drills. Then, um, we start them at like a three or a four step. They're going to do full jumps. Then they'll go back to like a five or a six, depending on the kid, depending on where they are. Um, then we always finish with some weightlifting. So, you know, we, we, we do very basic stuff here at Apex. And, uh, Mike, Mike Boyle is another strength conditioning coach, really well respected. And his big thing is that um, there's like an 80-20 rule. And 80% of training should be the same for almost every single athlete out there. 20% is a little bit different. You know, that's where you can get into specific stuff for your sport. So we focus on just, you know, big compound movements like squats, deadlifts, pull-ups, and uh, bench presses or or push-ups for athletes. 
Um, so the training might look like they might, after they, you know, finish jumping, they might do some single leg squats or double leg box squats, something like that. They're going to do some bench press and pull-ups, um, and they might finish with some abs. What if, what if like I have that. athletes that can't do pull-ups? Well, we, we actually have a YouTube video where we explain yeah. that progression, but we love, um, TRX rows to start. If, if the athlete is like super basic, like they are really, really struggling and they're very, very weak, TRX rows are awesome because you can adjust where the athlete's feet are. You can make it super easy so that almost anyone can do a TRX row. Yeah, you're almost like standing up. Exactly. It's very, very easy. I mean, they should check out the YouTube video because we go over it. But you can scoot your feet under, make it harder. Once they can do that, then we'll progress them to pull-ups. But we'll hang a band around the the bar and then attach it to the athlete's knees so that it helps them at the bottom of the pull-up where it's the hardest. And now they can they can do pull-ups in sets of like ten, um, and maybe even you know sets of eight. And then hopefully once they go through that progression for a couple weeks or a couple months, then they start to do pull-ups on their own. And then they just build. What if it from what there. if we're jumping? You got twenty minutes to lift. What do you what are you picking? You have to just pick priorities, right? And for pole vaulting, I mean upper body is very important. The lats and the back are important. So we might just have kids do pull-ups. You know if you're if you're crunched for time. Um, or, you know, we have athletes who are pretty strong upper body, but they're pretty slow on the runway. We might prioritize like a squat. Like we might have them just do single leg squats or we might teach them a box squat or something so, like that. So you just said something that I thought was really nice is like, you have to look at the athlete, right? Like if you, if you notice that the run is pretty good and the, the upper body is what's lacking in drills, and we're going to get to this in a second, like what type of drills and how you would eyeball this, but like, you know, if you notice they they got a good runway, okay, you got to hit up the pull-ups. You got to get the lats stronger so that they can they can go up the pole faster. The, 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 I'm telling you guys, there's a direct correlation between your lat strength and what you do on the pole. Okay, um, but if you have a kid that they're going up the pole great, it's just you struggle to get their grip up. Their mids are really tight, like that you can't move them back on the runway. All right, we got to do something legs wise, a single leg squat or a deadlift variation, and, and start building up their legs and. And here's the thing, guys. Yes, pole vaulting is an explosive sport, but training is a marathon. You're not going to get results overnight. Everybody thinks that they're, again, I paid, I played that Connor thing because there's no secret sauce. It's not magic. You're not going to do one drill one day and then it's like, poof, now my kid is going to jump 15 feet. Like that doesn't happen. It's, it's the long haul and getting athletes also to buy in that this is going to take a little bit of time, you know? Um, but yeah, this is where as a coach, you have to, you have to have that eye and watch. Okay. I have 20 minutes. What, what one exercise sometimes? What yeah, one exercise yeah. am I going to choose for this kid to do to have continued progress and growth? And you kind of have to almost make it a seasonal thing. Sure, when you have more time, let's say for that kid that you pick pull-ups, when you have more time, sure, you do throw in the single leg or deadlift as well, right? But you're consistently hitting the pull-ups because you know you got to get this kid stronger and you need a season-long effort to get that that development of the lats. Right. You know? I mean, you're right. Obviously, if you have all the time in the world... It's nice to have a balanced program, but we're not strength and conditioning coaches. We're pole vault coaches, you know, and it's like you have to prioritize what's going to make that kid better right now. Like what's their biggest weakness? What's going to help them the most? You know, and for a lot of kids, it's pull-ups, you know. Right. All right. So that was, that was two hours. We're out the door. Mom just picked me up. Mom's happy because we ended the session on time. And, and this is something that's important, too, 
And again, we're gonna we're gonna go deeper into this programming thing, but sometimes in the pull vault we don't understand that you know, uh mom and dad or even the client themselves, they could be a high school kid, college kid, adult, masters athlete, they don't they don't care how high your best vaulter jumps, they don't care about the Olympics. They want to have a good experience for the two hours that they are at practice. And we are trying to provide them with that good experience and try to, try to make it as beneficial as possible. Like you said, if we had more time, we'd do a lot more. But if you have a strict two hours with someone, hey, let's give them the most that we can. Let's have a warm up that is pole vault centered. They're not just warming up, but they're also hitting up some important drills. Let's get them to jump on the pit and then Boom, let's hit up one or two exercises, and then when they got to leave at two hours, they can leave. Because the one thing is, you don't want to have parents waiting. You know what I mean? It's like, that's going to get them aggravated, less likely to bring kids back to practice. I mean, even at the high school level, I remember that I used to run these like marathon practice sessions with some kids that were really, really committed that wanted to be state champs. But then it was like certain kids wouldn't stick with it because it's like, well, they're just not willing to be at practice from three in the afternoon till 730 at night, five days a week. It's just like that's a large commitment. And sometimes as a coach, we don't get that because like we're bought in. We, we would stay till 1030 at night, you know. Um, so you, you have to keep that in mind. Now, let's let's go a little bit more specific. You gave us kind of a general overview of practice. Um, but. Let's let's go deeper into that that warm up. What are some drills that you think are important, and what do they address in the warm up? And then let's take us through like you mentioned drills, and then going back to a three and a five or whatever. But let's go even more specific. What do you think is important? Let's start with that warm up. Well, I think the two most important drills um, that we do here at Apex are a drill that teaches athletes how to jump up, and a drill that teaches athletes how to move the pole. Because if they understand those two concepts. That's huge. You know, but by the time they get to the pit, they already know those two things. That makes our job so much easier once they have a pole in their hand and they're actually jumping onto the pit. So the first one we do uh, to teach athletes how to jump up, we call it the long, short, long, short jump up drill. The, the jumping drill. Yeah, jumping yeah. drill. Yeah. yeah. So the athlete will take four steps. The first two are just nice, tall running steps. And then the last two, um, it's a long step and then a short step to kind of set the hips up to jump up. Because uh, if you just run and try to jump up without, you know, setting your hips up and lowering your hips, you'll just jump off your calf, which you're not going to jump very high. So we have the kids all start at the same point so that we can kind of see who's going the furthest because the kid who's covering the most distance is probably going to be the kid who's doing the drill the best. And athleticism plays a role in yeah, it too. Yeah, yeah. You definitely see It's like we have all the kids line up at like 65 feet on this one runway and they go forward. And it's like you see it. There's like this crease in the turf that we have, which is roughly, I guess, I'm just looking at it right now. Uh, I guess it's... It's about it's a almost twenty feet from the starting mark, and it's like if you only hit there, it's like you're clearly a beginner in the drill. Um, but it's like the kids who can go like twenty five, thirty, thirty five feet on the drill, like yo, you got athletic kid, like this kid is a stud. So go ahead, sorry, <laughs> no, no problem. 
So that's the, you know, that's one of the first drills we teach them. Because then now, you know, when we tell them when they're actually jumping to jump up, they understand that concept and they know how to do it. They know how to set their hips up and actually jump. And just for the people listening, right, again, there's plenty of posts I've made on Instagram and YouTube about the jumping drill. But it's like you want that long step because your hip's slightly lower. And then the last step is short. You don't even get your knee up and you roll heel toe. Now your knee is slightly bent. You can use more, engage more quad hamstring and glute to jump up off the ground. The kids really pop up off the ground. But as Calvin was just saying, a little bit the issue that sometimes coaches have is like you're not teaching kids how to jump generally. So now when in the vault, you're like, hey, you got to jump up. Well, they don't know how to do that without a pull in their hands. Forget about now with a pull in their hands. So kind of to go back to like Conor McGregor and talking about there's no magic. There's no secret sauce. It's about commitment. You have to do this basic drill in order for that to show up in the vault. So we just did jumping drill. What's the other drill? The other big drill we do is to teach kids how to move the pole. We'll have that. We call it rollovers. So we'll have the kids stand with their feet, you know, the pole vertical, their toe touching the pole. They'll, um, Take two steps back from the pole. Well, we heel toe, sure heel toe. They're going exactly one right. or two or three shoes back from the pole. Depending on you know if they're beginner, they may just go one shoe. If they're a little bit more advanced, two. And then our better kids will go three shoes. But Broncos right will measure and make sure that they understand it's exactly you know heel to toe a shoe. Then we'll have them reach up above their head, and we teach them also how to grip the pole, how it's palm, fingers, and then thumb, and the hands are stacked right on top of each other above their head. Then one second, sorry to cut you off. So this is big, right? Guys, gals, everyone, right? You got to teach kids how to grip the pole. We take things for granted. Like one, I feel like everybody takes for granted that everybody knows how to run. Like, sure. Everybody knows how to move their feet and go forward, but they don't know how to run. Like you have to teach running form, right? People take for granted that the kid, the athletes know how to grip the pole. No, it's like a lot of people are one, they're allowing the pole to go diagonally across their palm and they don't even have their thumbs wrapped around their fingers. So they're not tight in there. So it's like before we go to the chalk and the reverse tape and the sticky spray and blah, 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 right? Make sure the athletes are gripping the pole right and also address grip strength. But it's like they have to grip the pole right. You know, this is this is really, really key. Go ahead. But all, all this is happening in the warm-up. You right. Know what I mean? So yeah, that yeah, we're, yeah. we're teaching them, but they're also doing these drills. Um, so it just runs, you know, flawlessly. But so then once the athlete, if you could picture their, you know, one or two, or two shoes back, back yeah. from the pole, hands are above their head, you know, stacked on top of each other. We cue the athletes to lean into the pole, feel a stretch in their arms, and then they pull themselves up the pole. And we watch for their hips their head and their hips, we watch that they pull their head and their hips up the pole and that the pole moves forward. Um, and the two the two problems we have sometimes are the athletes don't pull, they'll push on the pole. And the other problem is sometimes they And then their hips crash into the pole right. and, and they don't go up, like they'll stay down. Right. And the other problem is sometimes they'll pop their hips up, but they don't move the pole. So we have to make sure that they understand how to both move the pole and bring their hips up. Yeah. And so again, like the jumping drill, this is great because now the athletes are learning, okay, they're learning not just to move the pole, but also go up the pole. And they're, they're understanding with this basic drill, how they can manipulate pole speed and swing speed. Cause really swing speed, the whole point of swing speed, right? Is to get your hips to go up above your, uh, up above your hands. So this is a great little drill. I'm going to add a couple other things. 
We do some running drills, which again, I'm not going to explain this because this is a podcast, but you can check out our videos on running drills. We do some running drills before we even do the jumping drill and, and the rollovers. I think definitely you got to do some planting drills. Just do them standing. If a kid can't perform a plant the way you want standing, it's going to be way more difficult when they run. And then we'll do some pole runs as well. Now we hit the pit, Calvin. How, how do you... First of all, tell us, like, on a day-by-day, let's say you have me for three days, right? You know, what? how are you splitting those three days? I mean, do I just... Do I go full approach every day? <laughs> I wish. I wish it worked that way. But no, it doesn't. I mean, if you went full approach every single day for three day for three days like a week, you would very quickly burn out. You know, I think a when lot you of people... say burn out, what do you mean? I, do you mean like I would get mental? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> you get mental because you would start running through because you're tired. You know, and whether or not you feel tired, you like sure you're I'm sleeping, just not mentally tough. <laughs> I'm, if you can't sense it, guys, I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but a lot of people go right away to like, oh, this athlete's being mental. Why do those run-throughs happen? Like, what's, what's going on? If I try to do, like, long approach, full approach, max out my grip, max out my pull from a full approach every single practice that I come in, why am I going to start running through? Explain that. Well, your body just can't handle it. And the example I like to use is, let's say you want to bench press three days a week. Would you go into the weight room three days a week and just try to max out three days a week? Very quickly, you're going to either get hurt or your bench is just going to go down very quickly, you know? And the same thing in pole vault. Like, what happens is your central nervous system gets fatigued, right? And um, Charlie Francis is a really well-known sprint coach, and he developed this high-low system, which means on one day of the week you go high, the, the next day you practice has to be low. You know, and you we're talking about intensity level. It, yeah, exactly, like intensity. So in our case, intensity is running full approach, like running from far back on the runway. You just can't do that every single day. You know, you can't even really do it more than once a week as you become right. more advanced. Um, so the way we would set up a typical week might well, be well, like... Just just because uh, I want to go into this a little bit deeper because I, th- I think there's not... Uh, in the pole vault community, uh, there's sometimes misunderstandings about this. I think a lot of times people ask athletes like, oh, do you feel sore? Are you sore? And athletes respond, and I'm not sore. Isn't always indicative of right. you know, how, how prepared they are to jump. Right. Know? Like, uh, one, it might not be muscular soreness that even matters. Like, sometimes pe- I've had athletes that are sore, but their central nervous system is fresh. They're just sore because maybe they did, like, a heavy volume day of low intensity. Like, let's say you did, like, uh, you know, kettlebell squats, you know, so you're holding, like, a 50-pound kettlebell, and you just, you know, you did 50 reps total, you know, and maybe you're a little bit sore the next day, but you'd still be fresh central nervous system-wise, so you could still perform at a high level if you wanted to do that high-intensity practice from a full approach. Um, so soreness doesn't matter. What matters is your central nervous system. And again, what is your central nervous system? You have neural receptors from your brain to your muscles, and there's messages being sent and received constantly from your brain to your muscles. Now, when you do something of very, very high intensity, that central nervous system is is foggy. It's, it's bogged down. And you need 72 hours recovery time to go hit that central nervous system again. Now, there are cases in the pole vault, just to be honest, where you get away with it. Let's say you went to a meet where they did prelims and finals on back-to-back days. Or I've seen people do full approach the day before uh, finals um, in, in, at nationals, and then they jump the next day at nationals, and, you know, they do well. Every once in a while, you could double dip. 
But if you start doing that too often, it's not optimal. Yeah, you're you're going to start getting bogged down, you know? I mean, I was even discussing with someone that um there are some people that they prefer to do a, a vault practice the day before a meet. And what I always bring up is like, if you notice, these people don't end up getting on bigger poles at the meet. They typically jump on the same poles that they practice with. But the reason is because they're not as sharp at the meet, you know? Um, so you, you have to be careful with the central nervous system. I, I know it sounds that, that central nervous system sounds like magic, but it's not. Like it's made up. Yeah. This is, this is, this is, you know, biology, you know, this is how your body works. So you need that 72 hours period of, of rest. Okay. Um, so when you talk about high, low, you know, intensity practices, how do you set up those three days, you know, and how many days apart and everything like ex- explain that a little bit and then go into like what we do once we get to the pit. Well, let's say an athlete's coming in, um, you Monday, know, Wednesday, Friday. Okay. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, they would have had Saturday, Sunday, to recover. So Monday might be the biggest day of the week. You know, maybe they're going, they're starting in a three or a four and then they go back to their long run, which is a five or a six, you know, and early on in the season, our quote unquote long runs might be a four or five, you know, that might be like the furthest they get back to, but Mm -hmm. then closer to meet season, they're doing a five, six or a seven, you know, depending Mm on how advanced they are. But so that's like their, their biggest slash most intense day of the week. Then they're going to rest Tuesday come back in Wednesday, Wednesday is going to be more of a drill day. They might start at a one, you know, just do very basic, basic, like takeoff drills. We have a swing to the sit, swing to the belly progression that they'll go through. And then maybe they'll go back to a three and do some, you know, jumps from a three. And the reason for that is they're limited by speed. If you're only going from a three step, like you really can't go that fast. And that speed is what fries your central nervous system. Right, so. and that's how you, you, you monitor the intensity. Exactly. Like you brought up Charlie Francis, and what he would do as a almost like a trick with the sprinters is like he might still run, let's say, a 60-meter sprint on a Wednesday with his athletes, but he'd put a cone at the 30-meter mark, and the athletes can only accelerate to the 30, and then they would hold speed. Like he wouldn't let them hit top speed. So that was his way of like monitoring the intensity sometimes. And so in the pole, when we keep people inside of five left, what you're essentially doing is you're keeping the intensity low. This is why, like, even as an athlete, you know, or as a coach, things that you've observed, you might have noticed, like, wow, how come my athlete can always do threes, but sometimes they start running through at fives and sixes? Well, sure, maybe the step is off. Sure, maybe the grip or pull is not appropriate. But the bigger thing is a three is such low intensity, you could do it any time. Like Calvin said, sure, if I asked you to come in five days in a row and try to hit your one rep max in the bench press, um, you'd probably have a rough time by Wednesday, Thursday, right? And it wouldn't be possible. But let's say your max in the bench is 200 pounds, and I say, hey, I want you to come in Monday through Friday, and we're going to do just the bar, 45 pounds. You could do it. You could do it every day because it's such low intensity. And that's why three lefts are, are typically so easy for an athlete because it's so low intensity, you know? Um, so, so continue. So we just went through Wednesday. That's our drill day. Nothing past the three. Um, and look, I would even add some of your higher level athletes, you, you might even just keep them at a one and just drill from a, a one. And like you said, you vary depending on what they need. If you notice that their takeoff is off, you might do a lot of takeoff from a one, maybe a two if you need to incorporate the plant because if their plant's messing them up and just do takeoff stuff, 
and then maybe finish with a couple full jumps to try to do the takeoff in the full jump. And, you know, if their swing is off or their turn is off, you can do the swing to a set or swing to the belly drill to work on those aspects because once we talk about the vault off the ground, you have takeoff, swing, and turn. So in, at Apex, we're doing a, a variation of a takeoff, swing to a sit, or swing to the belly. Swing to a sit, you're just doing the swing part, chest forward, not leaning back, and then you add the turn, you know, you land on your belly, and then you can slowly make that into a full jump. Um, but yeah, you're, we're, we're doing some kind of variation of that. What do we do on Friday? So Friday is going to kind of be in between. If you're more of like an, you know, um Let's say beginner. my full approach is eight left. Oh, well... You're probably not going past like a four, maybe a five. Right. At, at most, you know. Right, because that would be medium intensity for right, that guy. Yeah, so, so Monday's your high intensity day. Wednesday's like very low. And then Friday's going to be kind of medium medium to high again. And depending on where you're at, if you're a beginner, you can kind of go high intensity again because you've had, you know, the whole week to recover. But well, if you're why, advanced, why Why with a beginner can you go longer run? Can you explain that a little bit? Well, because their that speed isn't really intense for them yet. Like they literally are not going fast enough to elicit a response where it's going to fry their central nervous system. Like, right, and and they're still learning how to carry the pole, so they're not even running right. at their top speed yet. Exactly. So their coordination still- is off too. Like you have to be very coordinated to to be able to run fast enough for it to affect your central nervous system. Like, I mean, you've told me stories when you were not in as good a shape as you are now, you would try to run sprint workouts and you like, you wouldn't even get sore from them. You wouldn't even get right. the next day. You'd wake up and feel fine. And it's because you weren't in shape enough to run fast enough. Right. And yeah. Beginners, they, they either may not be in shape enough to run fast enough or they're just not coordinated and they don't know how to use their body. Right. In the ball. Yeah. Speeds. In the ball exactly. to, for it to be, yeah. you know, tough on their central nervous system right yeah but it's important to understand like as you get more advanced as your speeds on the runway increase it's going to affect your central nervous system more and more so a more advanced athlete the week might look like you know monday is their intense day they might do if they're let's say they're an eight left approach athlete that's what they do at meets like in season they might do you know six seven or eight depending on how they feel that day like an eight would be pretty intense like right you know, yeah, yeah, yeah but it's you know a six or a seven is still pretty high intensity because they're still running yeah. pretty quick you know a wednesday might look like just ones maybe some twos and then very rarely maybe some threes you know depending right. if they're very high level and then friday is like maybe fours or fives you know probably not a six seven or eight again right yeah, yeah it's like medium intensity yeah so. yeah and and again So now when you're programming for a season, right? So now as we get deeper into the season and now you start to get like a meet a week, let's say you have a meet on Saturdays or something. Well, now the meet is your big day. That's your most intense day. Right. So now really like once you have a meet a week, you're backing off at practice. You're keeping practices technical. Um, and, And I can't stress this enough. Like at Apex, it is so common. It is so common that our athletes end up on poles 20 pounds above anything they use at practice, and they're gripping up six to nine inches higher than they ever have at any practice, regardless of approach. And the reason being is because we're not taxing that central nervous system. And in fact, we're keeping practices so technical, and we're almost like business-like at practice. Like, it's not about intensity. I don't need my athletes getting jacked up at their four-left approach 
and trying to get pumped up and go hard. It's like, no, I'm trying to change technique. Like, you know what? Like, great Grace's takeoff is not there yet. Like, she still needs to do more long shorts. Like, so I need her to stand up, jump up, make the jump smooth, do it again, do it again, do it again, right? I don't need her charging and trying to hit the box hard and, oh, let's squeeze it out. It's like, that's not the point of practice. Now, when she goes to the meet, now we can unleash the beast. Now, finally, it's like, okay, take all the governors off, like, just go, you know what I mean? And, and so that's kind of the approach that we take. And, and like this, like, look, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, it's very rare that we have an athlete that has like run through issues. It's, it's very rare that our athletes have any issues going up poles at meets. Well, that, you know? that's what I wanted to bring up too, is a lot of, I feel like a lot of the pushback to this style of training would be, well, I need to practice my eight. I need to practice my seven. You know, I need to feel the rhythm and it's different than it is in a meet. And not really. If you understand the concepts and the skills, you know, from a short approach to be able to do that in your, in your full jump, you're going to be able to do it from a seven or an eight. Like you've had plenty of athletes who at the meet, they've never run an eight in practice before. You're like, Hey, we're going to try an eight today. Right. Or, yeah. you know, kids and coaches too are like, well, I, my kid, needs to feel what it's like to jump on this certain pole. And you've discussed this, you know, in length, but pole and grip is just resistance, you know? Right. It's like, it's like that bench press example, right? Like to, to, you know, somebody who's bench pressing 400 pounds, that's no different than 500 pounds. It feels just as heavy. You know, it's just the weight is heavier. That's all it is. Right. That, that person can handle 500, whereas the other person can only handle 400, but to both of them, that's their max. You know what I mean? And, and the, the other thing that I would say is like, look, like you don't want athletes to have to like get used to a pole. Because what happens when they blow through that pole? They have to go up. They have to go up. But if now you've trained your athletes that like we have to practice on the pole for you to get comfortable on it, well now what? Now you're handcuffed at the meet. Now it's like okay, I guess just blow through again, or or even worse, or now you're gonna be like ah, you know what? Maybe try to run a little slower, or you know, try to like make the pole move less. It's like these are bad things. It's not favorable. I always want my athletes moving the pole. I want my athletes to be swinging hard. I don't want them to ever like take something off of the jump. We just need more resistance then. We need to go up grip or up pole depending on how the pole reacted, right? If it's a big blow through and the pole bent a lot, you gotta go up five pounds. If it's a big blow through the pole didn't bend a lot, you gotta go up a grip. Like, that's it. Like, you just gotta make these adjustments, you know? Um, and I, and I think the thing is, what happens is then it's like if I have trouble getting on a pole, just for argument's sake, let's say, you you know, Calvin's coaching me. He's like, listen, we got to, we got to try that 14770, you know, like that's the next pole. And, and if you're going to PR, you got to get on it. So now we spend all practice trying to get on this pole. And if it's a sketchy practice and I run through a lot, I get stood up. Well, now what's going to happen when he tells me to go on that at the meet? Like, you're going to be mental about it. Yeah. That, not gonna wanna you're literally, that that's going to make you mental. And I'm going to be like, oh, and then I'm not going to run as hard, you know? So the thing is, it's like, no, instead, focus on the technical stuff, control the intensity of practice. And then when you go to the meet where now clearly there will be more intensity. Like, yeah, I'm going to bring up another topic. Guys, I don't know how I feel about run-throughs. Meaning, when you've warmed up for a meet, you're clearly on a polling grip that is appropriate. You're moving it. It was appropriate for your opening bar. Clearly, you don't want to be on a pole smaller, right? Now you sit for like hour, two hours, and you get a run-through. I'm starting to really lean heavy on not doing a run-through. 
Because the run-throughs, you are not, I'm sorry, there's no way you're going to have that neat feeling for a run-through. Nobody's on the runway. There's no crossbar up. And you get your two minutes to do a run-through. And it's like, uh, what if your kid gets stood up? You're going to go down a pole? You already saw in the warm-up that this pole is easy. Why would you go down? But yet, people do the run-through and then... This is what happens. You know what I mean? Like they, they end up now having to make a decision off a jump that's not accurate, right? So I'd rather just not run through, take my first jump at the crossbar where you know the athlete is going to be up. You know, they've warmed up. They've done some, some jogging and skipping to get ready. And now the bar's up. They're in the competition. They're going to be jacked up, ready to go. I'd rather make a decision off of that than a run through where nothing's going on, you know? Because yeah, a lot of times like... Let's say they do get stood up in that run through, then you go down a pole, and then first attempt they come down. It's big a blow, blow through. through, big blow. Now and you just wasted an two attempt. jumps in the run throughs and your first jump at the bar. That's three jumps you wasted. Whereas if you just let them come down, either worst case scenario they blow through, which would have happened anyway, right? Or they make the bar. But now you only have to go up one pole, as opposed to now you have a big two blow poles, through, and yeah. now you got to go back to the pole that they got stood up on the run through. And then, and then if that. they blow through again, now you have one attempt left, and you hope that pulls right. You know, it's like I'd rather just make the adjustment in the meet. And and so like again, we're trying to control this intensity. We're trying to you know manage these situations. The thing is, like as a coach, we have to try to avoid the whole thing. Like we got to get on this pole. I think you know, and th- this is a kind of a concept and an idea. I have to post about, but it's like, there's that whole, uh, there's that cliche saying, don't put the cart before the horse. For example, if you are running practices currently and you often have athletes and you say, Hey, we got to get on this pole today. You're putting the cart before the horse. The, what you should be doing in practicing is saying, okay, listen, your pole carry is not good. Your plants off, your takeoffs off, your swing is off, whatever the technical thing is. We need to work on your turn. You're slowing down the jump in the middle of your turn. We need to get through that turn faster. Let's work on your turn today. And then if you work that technical piece enough, what's going to happen is you're going to naturally blow through and then need to go up a pole. Now you see that happened the right way. But if instead I go, hey, listen, we got to go up a pole, well, you're literally going to waste time trying to get on the pole, but you're not addressing the technical aspect. And here's the thing. You can't fix technique if the intensity is too high. That's going to make it too difficult. You know, like think about it in lifting. It's like if my squat is poor, if my squat form is poor, I can't fix my squat form with my max weight. Just to take I, weight off. Yeah, there. you have to make it like 50% or below and try to fix it there and then work your way back up. You can't, you can't fix technique on, on a high intensity. It has to be lower intensity. You know, how do you feel about that whole, uh, cart before the horse cliche? Like, how do you see this, uh, as an example? Like, where do you see these examples of cart before the horse in pole vault? What do you mean? Like, how do you notice where, where do you see issues in pole vault training, coaching at a meet, whatever, where people are putting the cart before the horse? It's like you need the horse first. It pulls the cart. Can't put the cart first. 
right? It's like, just like what I just said. Like, I do not like the, the practices where people are like, hey, we got to get on this pole. You're putting the cart before the horse. They should address technique first. Are there other situations, whether it's in the weight room with some drills where you're like, oh my God, they're putting the cart before the horse. Well, to kind of bring it back full circle and mention that, that uh, drill you talked about in the beginning of the podcast where the guy was holding the barbell, that's definitely putting the cart before the horse. You know, if you're a super, super advanced athlete, you've been training at least four years consistently in the weight room. You've hit some good numbers, you know, for your body weight, and you want to try to tinker and add some fancy stuff in. Like maybe then, maybe only right. then you can start to do some more advanced stuff. But it, that's definitely putting the cart before the horse. If you can't even squat, you know, double your body weight, and you try to do some fancy stuff like that, like you're you're wasting your time. That's definitely putting the cart before the horse. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, right? Yes, yeah, some of these drills or exercises that people set up, like I see it all the time. Like someone will put a band on a stick and attach to the squat rack and they're like rolling their hands out and stuff. And it's like, first of all, okay, what muscles are you trying to train there? Because you're trying to get stronger. I guarantee I could find better exercises for you to get stronger. Right. If you're trying to like learn movement, let's go to one left. And work on rolling out. If, and, if you wanna, and if you want to row out your hands, that's fine. Row out your hands from a one and learn that movement from a one left. It's crazy. You can pull vault to learn pull vault movement. You know, <laughs> we don't need to go into the weight room where there's all this nice strength and conditioning equipment and now somehow try to mimic pole vaulting movements, right? That's what pole vault practice is already for. Even I would argue a lot of the gymnastic things that people do, that's for movement. Like you're not going to get stronger on the high bar, people. Like, you might get a little stronger. You might get coordination. But if you want to get stronger, go in the weight room. Like, we've even talked about with the pullovers. You want to get really good pullovers? Get to that 50% body weight pull-up. You weigh 100 pounds, do a 50-pound pull-up. You weigh 150 pounds, do a 75-pound pull-up. Like, hit those numbers, right? And and here's the thing. You mentioned Mike Boyle before, and he had a wonderful post that I'll, I'll probably end up reposting. But he said, he goes, listen... It's, it's true. At a certain point, you might be strong enough. At a certain point, you might be strong enough. But he put, most people never get to that point. I mean, yeah. guys, we have a weightlifting board. And one of the most impressive ones I have, I think, is uh, Amanda Katz. Amanda Katz weighed 110 pounds in high school. She was five foot one, And she deadlifted 315. Wild. That was great. At that point. I remember having conversations with Calvin and being like, yo, man, we should probably start tinkering a little bit with Amanda. You know, at that point, I got a girl weighs 110 pounds. She, she deadlifts 315. And for those of you listening, and listen, I'm not trying to knock anybody, but there are professional female pole vaulters that can't deadlift 315. You know what I mean? And, and that's okay. Like, whatever. I'm not knocking anybody's training. Do, do what you would like. If you're happy, awesome. But I'm just saying there are certain numbers in the weight room that you can hit and you should be going after before you start setting up the bands and the chains and the sticks and the scooters and whatever you're doing in the weight room to make it look like pole vaulting, you know? And and Calvin, we've been talking about this a lot lately. I mean, what have we been talking about even like getting fancy and tinkering? What 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 do you like what kind of athlete do you need that you could start tinkering and what are sometimes the issues once you get to the tinkering point? I mean, you have to have trained an athlete for a very long time. They have to have become very proficient in very basic stuff 
hit some really good strength numbers. And by that time, I mean, we're talking, you know, six to eight years of like consistent training. Uh, you know? I think you get, you, you can get to that point maybe in like two to four years, depending on how often you train. But. Maybe, but at that point, like, you know, how much longer are they going to train with you? That's an interesting point. And then to go back to the beginning of this podcast, right? When I gave you those parameters, if you only have a two hour practice session with someone, how fancy can you get with the strength conditioning? Not that fancy, especially if they're just doing one exercise for the first, you know, year or two that they're with you. you know? Right. And even like, so like going back to the Amanda example, I mean, I think that's an interesting one. By her senior year, she, she deadlifted 315, right? At a body weight of 110, you know, but she's a senior and she graduated. And that was it. Yeah. She went to a college that's not close to here and you're yeah. not coaching her anymore. Right. You know? So, so the thing is, it's like a lot of times, and let, let's talk even college. Let's use you as an example. Like mention to them some of your lifting numbers and, and let's talk about why we ended up not really getting fancy your senior year, <laughs> you know, but go, go ahead. Explain. Yeah, I mean, by junior year of college. So I've been training with you for, that was my seventh year training with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And granted, we didn't start weight training seriously until like freshman, freshman year of college. Year of college. Yeah. So that was my third year of consistent training, year-round training, no breaks, really. Yeah. I hit 315 for five in a Bulgarian split squat. So that's rear foot elevated split squat. Yeah. I benched 280 pounds at, um, or 285 pounds, I think, at like 180 pounds body weight. Yeah. Deadlifted well over 400. I don't remember the exact yeah, number for yeah. that. But yeah, and by that point, maybe we could start to tinker and do more, you know, fancy stuff. And why but, couldn't we tinker your senior year? <laughs> well, I, I ended up getting hurt my senior year. Right. You had a knee injury that you were dealing with. And so, so these are the things when you, like people are getting fancy early on. It's like one, you're not building the prerequisite strength to do fancy stuff yet. And then it's like, if you are training hard, sometimes injuries happen. Then also it's like, okay, well, how come post-collegially? Why didn't we get fancy post-collegially? Life happened. You know, people go get jobs. They, they're in relationships. You know, they, like, they're not robots, right? And so you have to make training fit within the realm of a life. I mean, we have a post-collegiate vaulter at the club right now, Pete Roach. His PR, lifetime best, 17.9. He has a full-time job in Manhattan. He, he's not married yet, but I'm sure he's going to get married at some point soon. You know, he's, he's been with his girlfriend for a long time now. You know, he's got to maintain that relationship, and, and that's real. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like people talk about boyfriends, girlfriends. is like, I know if you're training, like, high school athletes, like, yeah, it's not a big deal. But it's like, when you're talking about adults, it's like, it's a real relationship. You have a commitment there. You know, you have a commitment to your job, and now you're still trying to vault. It's like, well, how fancy can we get with training? I mean, you, you know Pete. I mean, is he at the level where we need to get fancy? No, he still has a lot left on the table, you know, just in getting stronger and basic exercises. Like, he doesn't doesn't need to get fancy yet. Right, right. So it's like the basic stuff is going to do go a long way with Pete. You know, and so th this is why sometimes like, you know, again, talking about putting the cart before the horse, it's like you don't have an athlete that can squat double their body weight. You don't have an athlete that can deadlift double their body weight. And, and guys, this is not that crazy. If you have a 150 pound male and they can't squat. deadlift 300 pounds, problem, problem. If you can't do 
Come on. I mean, if you're a 150 pound male and you can't do a 50 pound pull up, you're just not trying, you know, then even like, I mean, talk about a basic exercise that I really like to throw in that could be almost like supersetted with like pull-ups or, or even, you know, something lower body like deadlift is like leg lifts. I mean, you know how many athletes I know that can't toe touch the bar? They cannot do a leg lift where they toe touch the bar. And it's like, that's a basic exercise. So these are some basic things that we have to master before we can start to get fancy and we start like doing some crazy, crazy stuff. You know, it's like, we have to hit those up first. So when you're developing now, like, you, you know, you're looking back and you're looking at a season, you know, and you're trying to develop a program. It's like you could see where it's like the warm up that Calvin just described. You know, you hit up a couple of like warm up drills, like a rollover, a jumping drill, a pole run. Then you get onto the pit. You have to be doing one left drills. You have to be doing two and three left drills. You know what I mean? You cannot just do a couple pop ups. Like, here's my thing. Oh, my goodness. When people do pop-up drills and they're running from anywhere, they just literally stutter down the runway. They don't even know where they're gripping on the pole. And then they just do a pop-up, whatever the pop-up is. The thing that I don't like about that is, like, one, you're not developing stride pattern. You know, you're not developing a stride. You're not developing the jump up. And how do you monitor this? How do you know it's getting better? Maybe your grip went up, but maybe you took two extra stutter steps. How the heck do I know if this is good or not? Right? Right. Athletes need to be going for marks and they need to be gripping at certain marks and you need to be able to monitor these things. I mean, every single practice at Apex, we write down everyone's name and we write down their grips, you know, for, for these drills and we write down what drills they did. You know, we'll shorthand it. You know, it's like overhead carry S will be like OH and then swing to the belly SWB. You know what I mean? And you just overhand write it down real quick so we can look at the end of the season. Okay. Did the grips go up? Were the drills getting smoother? Did they land deeper into the pit? Like we even have a mark into the pit. Um, we call it Gabby's line. It's 11 feet, two inches behind the back of the box where we know it's like, okay, last week the kid was like touching that line with their toes. Now they hit it with their ankles. You know, it's like you have to monitor these drills and Look, I also think this, a lot of people are rushing a lot of the bent pole drills, right? It's like, oh, I need, I need a press drill. These kids need to press. One, if you don't have someone athletic enough, they're not going to be able to do a press drill. You would literally need like what? A 10850 for some people to get them to really bend the pole. And here's my thing, guys. Yes. An adult male vaulter at the Olympics that could run the 100 in 11 flat or faster, who's gripping 16.6, you know, on a 17-foot pole, their pole bends a lot. I get it. Should a girl gripping 10, who weighs 100 pounds, 5 foot tall, should she bend the pole as much as the Olympic guy? I don't know. That's, that's just, I'm putting that idea out there. You think about that for yourself, you know? But if you are not doing straight pole takeoff swing drills then what is the point of doing them on a bent pole? Straight pole drills are harder, harder. You need to do the harder thing first. That, that would be like in the weight room, just like throwing weight on someone who doesn't have the technique down yet. You know, they're going to get hurt. Well, you're going to stunt someone's progress. If they're just coming down, they're bending the pole. Now their swings all over the place. It's like, you know, they don't even have a good takeoff. They're just running into it. You're putting the cart before the horse. Let's master the basic drills. Right? Like if we think about martial arts, when you're a white belt, you don't do advanced drills. You're not coming in there trying to do a press drill or trying to do a press drill and then swing and get to the back of the pit. Let's do it straight pull first. 
That is the basic, the basic thing. Figure it out. Move a straight pull into the pit. I'm telling you right now, if you learn that skill, it will help your bent pole jumping. 100%. 100%. You know? Do you have any, any thoughts on, uh, I, I, guess, I mean, I, I guess we've kind of like covered a lot, but like, do you have any kind of closing thoughts or things that you think about? Like, you ever go to a meet and see something? You're like, oh my God, I can't believe that. <laughs> I mean, technique wise, a lot of times, but that's, you know, kind of a different topic than this podcast. I mean, just, I think, just think about how you lay out the week, you know, that'd be, that'd be my advice is think about it intelligently and just don't do long runs every time you go into practice, you know, you're just going to stunt your progress. Yeah. And, and, and look, like you're saying too, you know, you see a lot of technical things at these meets. Well, as a coach, don't just think about, okay, how do I get this, this guy or gal on a bigger pole or higher grip? What you need to do is like, Hmm, this part of the jump is not good. Let's work on this part of the jump. Let's do it from a one. Let's do it from a three. Let's do it from a four, right? And then you're going to build that technical foundation so that when they go to the meet next time, boom, they're going to hit that better takeoff or hit that better swing. You know, I mean, and again, guys, you need data. You need data. Don't just be running from anywhere. Don't just do a pop-up. Like you can't measure that. And, and the thing is, look, if you have data, it can help you troubleshoot, right? If I have a guy that's gripping 12 and jumping 13, guess what? Awesome. They're very efficient on the pole. I need to do more takeoff with them because I got to get their grip up. So I got to do takeoff drill. Vice versa. If I got, uh, if I got a guy gripping 13 and they're jumping 11.6, cool. They're obviously doing something right at takeoff that they can handle that grip. Something's broken with the swing and turn. We got to do swing turn drills and then apply that to the full approach. So use that data. Don't put the cart before the horse. Be committed to a program and a process where you build a complete vaulter. Don't just go to practice and just try to get on a big pole. It's it's not going to go very far, you know. Um, Calvin, thanks for doing the podcast. Um, sorry, for me on. yeah, no problem. And sorry again, guys, that I didn't do one for a while. I'll try to do one soon after this. Um, but again, thank you for listening. Any comments or questions, email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the podcast and thanks for listening.